I'm Simon King, and this is What's Wrong. Uh, you know what? Let's uh, start this episode out with a letter um, about, I believe this uh, letter is about episode 222, which was uh, the last one we did, the episode on greed. So uh, I'm going to read the letter. Letter. If you want to send me a, a letter, you can at www.skpodcast at gmail.com. That's www.skpodcast at gmail.com. You send me a letter. And I will read it on the air, uh, much like this. I will read it without reading it ahead of time. Um, the only thing I noticed was that this was, it says in the very first line, it's about episode 222. So I'm pretty sure that's the last one. I can't remember. Anyway, um, here we go. Hey, Simon. Well, that's me. So that's a good way to start. I just finished listening to episode 222. And while I usually agree with what you have to say about social issues, I think you missed the mark in episode 222. You blasphemer! Here's why. For people in the 1%, money is a low-stakes game that is really just about seeing how high the number can go. And if you lose a few bucks here and there, it'll blow to the ego, but nothing more. What they fail to realize is that money, like any other resource, is constrained by the amount that exists within the system. So every dollar they make comes out of the pocket of someone else. And for so many of them, I'm looking at you, Koch brothers and Walton family, it's truly about getting the high score in a game where the winner is the person who took the most out of the system. Do you think that? Do you think it's really about... Am I not cynical enough? Because I don't think I don't think it's about taking. I don't think the win is taking from others. Is it? Is is the joy removing? Is the joy not gaining for yourself but taking from others? Is that really how people are? Am I? Is it one of those rare occasions where I actually think people are better than they are? I don't know. So to that end, offering incentives to the rich to make them somehow richer in exchange for playing nice is unsustainable. What is needed is a redistribution of wealth. Well, I mean, we can all agree on that. That's not. Yeah, of course, that's a whole other podcast. To those who understand that wealth comes with it, a responsibility to give back. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea of like stopping people just inheriting money, making people who work uh, for the money, you know, people have to earn their money so they have more value to it. It's like I was, I didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, so I have a lot more value for money now than perhaps friends of mine who grew up with a lot of money and, and don't see it as a, you know, an infinite resource. Um, but in order to do that, we have to meet the wealthy at their own playing field. What we do that by going back to the garage. Think of the number of companies over the last hundred years that started with a couple of people, an idea, and a small work area in a garage or basement. Apple, HP, Facebook, Yahoo, Google, and countless others came from the humble beginnings and have yielded some of the wealthiest people in the world. My point is we need to cultivate a culture of wealth and redistribution in the next generation of multimillionaires and billionaires rather than trying to change the behavior of the ones who already... I agree with that already here. Uh, thanks, DJ. You're right, and I agree with that. I don't, I don't think for one second you're wrong. I think that's part of it. What I'm saying is that we don't have time to wait for the next generation at this point. That's my argument is that we have to correct the people that are there. This is the only way to do it because I think we're running out of time. I definitely think that the culture of wealth, the culture of money and the culture of capitalism, um, such as capitalism has a culture, has to change. I definitely agree with that 100 percent. And I think the idea of going back to people earning their money. Uh, as opposed to being given their money, going back to money, because I think when you get a certain amount of money, I mean, we've all had that, you know, when you have a lot of money in the bank, you, you, you treat it a little differently. You know, when you're down to your last hundred bucks, you get start to get a little bit like, uh, maybe we don't go out for dinner tonight. You know what I mean? But when you have a hundred thousand bucks, you're, I mean, I assume you're just like, um, oh man, things are like, you know, things are easy. Don't worry. It's, it's because it's, it's seen as a small portion and it is a small portion of that which you have. So I think that, yeah, I mean, if, if you truly believe that, that, and maybe I'm misconstruing this, but if you think that the money is the low stakes game, I, I thought, I mean, I know that getting more money than your 
fellow billionaires and stuff is a source of pride. This is why they have this ridiculous dick measuring competition with the biggest yacht in the world, all that bullshit. I understand that. I understand that being a thing that they do um, and, and it being that being a measuring point, uh, um, uh, you know, with each other about I get that. But I honestly, is, is it really that they just want to take out of people's pockets? They just want to see how much they can take from others. Is that what it is? Because if that's really what you're dealing with, then we're far more fucked than previously, I th- you know, I, I would have thought. If the whole, if the impetus behind gaining wealth is to remove it from others, if the impetus behind getting rich is to somehow inflict suffering on others, um, then yeah, then I, I am out of ideas because I can't honestly believe that people, that's such a foreign language to me, the idea that someone could willingly and wantingly take from others. I get wanting more for yourself. I get having a perverse, weird, twisted thing where you, it'll never be enough because you'll never feel secure. You'll never have enough because you'll, you know, there's this weird competition you get in with other billionaires and millionaires. I get, I get all that. I understand all that. But the idea that the, the value in your wealth is that you have taken from others to get it. I don't, um, it doesn't compute in my system. Um, the idea of going back to the redistribution of wealth, of course, is that's absolutely necessary. That's the thing. That, but like I said, we we simply don't have time to talk about. If this was 50 years ago, even, we could have time to talk about the next generation of billionaires. But we don't have time anymore. I mean, we are out of ideas here. Like, basically, all we can do is try to correct the behavior we have. And other than hauling out the guillotine and making examples of them, I don't know what else we do here. Because inside the the constraints of our society, there's only so many things we can do to, I mean, there's jail time, there's, 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 you know, we can increase, but fines aren't really going to do it. We can, you know, put people in prison. People need to go to prison. Like the people responsible for the 2008 financial crisis, the Goldman Sachs, the all the, the Bear Stearns, all those folks, they need to go to jail. They needed to go to jail. If you're going to steal half a trillion dollars from the planet you need to go to prison and they didn't and so we failed there so in that sense yeah punitive uh uh arrangements maybe need to be made to 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 deal with these people but i think in the terms of people who are technically within the law but morally outrageous i thought that the idea being that if we could somehow make them morally comfortable and still and be within the law then we could somehow if we have to encourage morality with a spoonful of sugar if that's what we have to do to save ourselves because that's who we're saving we're not saving them they're fine most of these motherfuckers are in their 60s and 70s and 80s they're not going to be around to see the fallout from this and they don't really seem to care too much about their children because if they did they wouldn't be responsible for what's going on on the planet um or it's such a a non-issue to them it's such a disconnection they have from the realities of what they're doing that perhaps um, that's why it's not resonating with them. That's why they don't. But they're clearly not getting the message that and, and I'm, I'm saying they because there is a sort of collective they in this. Um, I, I don't like the concept of them. And I actually used to have a stand up bit about how I think it's dangerous to have a catch all group of people to blame they're holding me down. They do this. The man is this. Blank, blank, blank. That's a difficult place to be. You paint yourself into a corner of arguing with a ghost. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. But I have to use they in the sense of this sort of uh, ethereal uh, you know, group of, of 
1% of the people who control the majority of the wealth. Redistribution of wealth is absolutely necessary. If you read the book Capital in the 21st Century by Thomas Piketty, it's um, it really kind of explains how that's been a problem for a long time and the the you know, sort of uh, how wealth has coalesced around a certain group of people in the world and it's just got more and more so. I'm not saying that there aren't new wealthy people. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But wealth, once in a family, wealth often just stays in the family. Um, you know, so I, I think that you have to look at um, you have to look at ways of changing that, and if maybe I mean uh, you know an inheritance tax, uh, 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 you know whatever that might be. But it's also the problem is is the money that so say you impose a massive inheritance tax um, and the money is put back into the system. That money is just thrown back into corporate welfare. I mean any money that comes into you know the the United States of America or or Canada and their governments. It, it's it's a huge portion of it is earmarked for corporate welfare, which then in turn eventually goes back to the families that gave it up. So it's it's a closed system. You know what I mean? There's no um, no exit on the freeway. And what we need to do is figure out some way of getting it so that some of that money goes back into a more just system. So maybe if we impose a uh, you know, an inheritance tax or we impose a tax, maybe we impose the $10 billion tax. And anytime you have any money over $10 billion, um, then, then a certain portion of that tax over and above $10 billion in holdings, um, not cat and not liquid in holdings. Any, anytime you have over $10 billion in holding a certain amount of that money must be redistributed automatically to social programs. I think that's the only way to do it because social programs, things like if you want to enrich the average individual, in the United States, you have to start talking about things like universal health care. It's the only way to put money back in people's pockets. You know, it's not uncommon to spend well over $1,000 a month um, for a family for health care. That's in a ridiculous amount of money. Think about the buying power that an extra $1,000 a month gives you. Think about the bigger house, the better car, the more things, you know, and that's for people who can afford it. Um, the people who can't afford it, they simply don't have health care. And, and, and think about the tax on the system that is as well the sick days the lack of uh the, the you know because there is some socialized the social care think of that the amount of the the industry that exists around collecting debts off uh people who owe money for medical bankruptcy can go you know it, it can probably fall aside the wayside and will be easily replaced with the amount of money that's made by people who will buy the new car will buy the new thing because their incomes go up and I think that I think well, not income. Their cash on hand goes up. You you need to talk about that. You need to talk about universal childcare uh, in Canada, for instance. If we have socialized childcare, much like we have socialized medicine, if we're able to contribute a small amount a month, and I would not mind doing this, small amount of my taxes a month that go to paying for socialized, and I don't need childcare because I'm I'm able to take care of my child at home because of the job I have. So it wouldn't benefit me directly, but it would benefit me in the sense that the society would be better off. So you think about the situation where you have the person working two jobs and trying to go to school. One of those jobs, they're just basically paying for childcare so they can work the jobs and go to school. Well, if you have a situation where the childcare is paid for, then that person can concentrate more on going to school, get school done more quickly, earn more money. They have more money in their pocket to spend money. I mean, it just makes sense. If you put, if you want to have an economy that is driven by consumers, not based by consumers, because I know in Canada, for instance, we're a service and resource-based economy. I get that. But if you want an, an economy that is driven by consumers, which is what capitalistic economies essentially are, supply, demand, blah, 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 blah. If you want that, you need to give the consumers something to purchase goods with. And that keeps the companies that make the goods going. And so to me, 
the idea of if you want to enrich the the lower classes, so to speak, if you want to enrich the the working class, if you want to put money back in people's pockets, you need to do it on a very grassroots level. You need to stop them putting money out. A, a small tax cut isn't going to fucking do it for middle class to poor people. It's not going to do it. A tax cut's not going to make as much of a difference as not having to pay for it. And the people that don't have enough money and, 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 don't, and still don't pay for healthcare because they don't put out that $1,000 a month because they don't have the money, then what we need to do is find out a way to get them, like I said, childcare subsidies. They need to have prescription medication cover. I mean, if you want to take care of your citizens and have your citizens healthy and rich, one of the reasons the United States is getting hit so badly by COVID-19 is because there's, their population is so incredibly sickly um, because they don't go to the fucking doctor because they can't because they're afraid to. And then often things get far too bad that when they finally do go, it's way worse than it would be. If It's like if you have a little knock in your car and you go get your oil changed, probably fine. But if you leave it too long, then the car will seize. And these people are put in this horrendous situation of deciding uh, and then going to work sick because you don't have sick leave. These are the things you need to do. You need to give people sick leave. You, if you really want to fix a society, you need universal basic income is what you need. Universal basic income has been proven time and time and time again to actually help getting people into work, help making people, you know, get people to start small businesses and try new things and give them, you know, it gets people out of abusive relationships. It, it gives them a chance to escape. It gets people, it allows people to have better educations it lets people take more chances with their economics so they can start businesses so they can do things it reduces the amount of people on the street it reduces the amount of people in treatment programs it reduces the the tax on the healthcare system it makes it a lot less um because right now that the healthcare system is the line of defense in canada particularly for people who are on the street and everything like that so it removes that um it helps remove the the burden on law enforcement i mean there's a lot of things that come from paying people a couple thousand dollars a month and also it's not like people are just going to work, sit around and not work. Uh, I don't – $2,000 a month is not a lot of money. I don't know if you've done the math, but $24,000 a year is not enough money to live. It's not, particularly in a city like Vancouver. It's enough money to not lose everything. It's enough money to live if there's other income in the household. But it's not enough money to live by yourself. I mean that's less than my rent is every month. So there would be no way of, of – I would have to have another income as well. But it wouldn't be for people like me. It would be for people who perhaps, you know, one one parent works and one doesn't. One person in the household, you know, had a great job and then got laid off because the company went under. I mean, it, you know, that's okay. It's basically a built-in constant employment insurance. You never have to worry about it. Will there be cheats to that system? Absolutely there will be. Are there cheats to existing system? Absolutely they are. But I would rather put the money into a universal basic income and risk that some people will defraud the system, then put it directly into corporate welfare and know that the corporate businesses will defraud the system and they will take their money outside of Canada, in our case, or the United States. Universal basic income will never work in the United States of America at this time. They do not have the culture for it. Canada probably doesn't, but might. There is something to be said for a, a sort of national altruism. There needs to be a change, because as you said in your letter, uh, there needs to be a fundamental change. There does. Not just in the entrepreneurial way of, of going back to starting fresh. And and some of those from the garage stories are not necessarily true. A lot of them, they had investors and they had money. And it's kind of a bit of a, the Hollywood soda fountain myth. Some of it. Not all of it. Some of it is. 
So we have to also think about that, like the whole idea of Elon Musk picking himself up by his bootstraps. Well, he was given a diamond mine. So let's be a little more realistic about, you know, let's not forget that Bill Gates came from a Beverly privileged, very privileged background. He, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he hasn't done great things with his privilege. He's done a lot more than a lot of people have. But let's not forget that from advantage comes advantage, from advantage comes position, right? So, you know, if you're given the chance to do these things, there is no level playing field in North American society. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Even amongst the so-called white male privilege thing, it doesn't exist there either. There's no, every, everything is, it's all different, right? And that's understandable. And it will never be completely even. It can't be. If you are born, if you're Will Smith's kid, you're, you're going to have more advantages than someone born to, you know, a, a pipe fitter and she works two jobs and you're just going to have more advantages. It's just the way it works. Um, we have to accept that reality. And that's a slow, slow change. And that will change when capitalism ultimately changes, if we can push ourselves away from it, which, you know, the only way to do that is to have all needs met without the need for currency. And that's a totally different, you know, that's Star Trek type dreaming. And it may be, you know, maybe, maybe one day if we survive, maybe, but that's not something we are going to be able to talk about for the next 150, 200 years, probably, I don't think. Uh, I think we have to be really realistic about what we need to do to change the situation in the next 15 years. Like we really need to, and if, and that was my, my suggestion was, you know, the nice way of doing it is to make it very profitable to be a good person. Uh, it, it, it is, it's, you know, it, and, it, and if what you're saying is true, that that won't affect, that's like that the idea of being a good person is somehow not what it's about being, you know, that there, there is an inherent, um, maliciousness to gathering wealth to a lot of these people. I don't really know how to compute that. Like I said, I don't really know. I don't really know how to how to reconcile that with my brain. I don't understand the idea of 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 wanting to take from others as part of the prize. Is that truly what it is? It's a, it's a depressing thought to think that there are people out there with the mindset of I must not only must I get more for myself, which is, like I said, you know, understandable in the terms of evolution, but I must take it from others, which I guess, I guess is understandable in the sense of evolution too, because you're, if you take from others, they have less, they die out, their bloodline doesn't increase. I guess it makes sense. It's really dark to think that way, but I guess perhaps that's the thing. The idea of changing what entrepreneurship is, changing where wealth comes from, changing how wealth is distributed, these are all hugely important things, and every one of those points makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, redistribution of wealth, I, I, I think I've mentioned it before, but if not, I've been remiss, and I should do a podcast on it, is absolutely a necessary thing, because it's also been proven, too, that a lot of the people who are wealthy now would become wealthy again. Um, so it's like, if you gave a million dollars to a million people by the end of it, you know, probably a hundred people would have all of the money and that's just kind of the way it works. And, and, but what I'm saying is we won't know until we give a million dollars to a million people. And then we 
then we take that money and then we educate them. We don't just hand them money. You know, one of the reasons lottery winners get so fucked is because a lot of times they, they don't understand. They, like someone told me once that poor people stay poor because they buy things and rich people stay rich because they buy assets. So the idea is that like if you buy uh, two Ferraris, well, why? When you could buy one Ferrari in a condo, and the condo would eventually pay for the Ferrari and you'll get another Ferrari out of it. Like, but that level of thinking is, is farsighted, which is why it blows my mind at the level of short-sightedness that comes with these kind of money-hoarding billionaires who seek to just take as much as they can for themselves at the expense of the planet. I mean, surely you must see, if you're a 65-year-old billionaire, you must know that you have more money than you'll ever spend for the rest of your life. You must look at your grandchildren and be like, I have to make things as good for them as possible. Or is your mentality, the way I'll make things as good for them as possible is get them another billion. Because quite frankly, I think people have also lost touch of how much a billion is or how much a million is. I mean, it's easy to say, like, I live in Vancouver and, and, and homes in Vancouver, it's a million dollars is sort of the, the mean price now it's the, in the middle. It's like, if you have a million dollars, you'll probably get a decent place to live, but it's going to be nothing special. Um, but $10 million is still a lot of money. You know what I mean? So we haven't gone up to the point where you need a billion dollars for it to be. I, I think that we've lost track of the scope of money we're talking about. When you talk about a trillion dollars of debt, or when you talk about a trillion dollars, these are insurmountable numbers. Like the amount of debt that the United States have, and I may be wrong here, but I believe last time it was around 20 trillion. Um, that's not fixable. You can't, but that's not also the way economies work. Com- countries operate in debt. That's how they work. That's how a lot of countries... So the idea of becoming debt-free is not necessarily always the best thing for a country. It's good for you as a citizen, as a person. Being debt-free is good. But being debt-free as a country is not always the best way to operate. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of complex laws of economics that work there. I think the argument being is that we've lost track of... You know, you hear these numbers. You hear, oh, we're $1 trillion in debt. Or, we, you know, we, this person has $100 billion. I think we've lost scope of that money. So it becomes almost blasé. When you say to me, someone has $10 more than me, I'm like, oh, that's $10 more. It's not that bad. When you say they have $100 more than me, you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's he can get a nice bottle of bourbon. If you tell me that someone has a million dollars more than me, I then consider that person quite wealthy. I go, well, that person has a million dollars more than I do in the bank. I understand the scope of what a million dollars buying Paris. So like I can't buy a house or I can't buy a condo in Vancouver, but that person can. I understand the scope of between me and them. I understand that I'm here at this level and they are there because of the difference in money. Then when you say that person has $10 million, I can still kind of grasp it. I can be like, okay, I, I may one day be able to achieve that kind of wealth, but it's unlikely, but I may. But I guess I could probably see, I could probably kind of understand how you could get there. I could understand how I could understand how you get to a million bucks because I, I know people own homes, so I can see that. Now to ten million, I'm like, well, I, I understand you could buy a house and you could, you know, you could. There's, I can see the path to ten million dollars, a hundred million dollars. I don't understand that. I don't understand that level of money. That's a point where you just never, because a person with a million dollars. They may have a million dollars in assets. They may have a house that's worth a million dollars, but this may still drive a used car and they may still go and get gas and not always be able to fill up and everything. Just because you have money doesn't mean, just because you have wealth doesn't mean you always have money, you know, sort of thing, if that makes sense. 10 million, I now see them as being like, oh, I'm able to fill my car up with gas and I would consider that wealthy. If you have $10 million in the bank, I think you're now wealthy. I think you're at that point, but I still understand how you got there. 
you know, I, I, there are some comedians who have that kind of money. I see it. I get how it could happen. I could see a path where it could potentially happen, even for someone like myself. I can see that. When you get to $100 million, I start to look at that and go, well, that's beyond my scope of really understanding how much money is money. Like, that's beyond anything I can get. I've never experienced... That would be like... That would be like you saying you can breathe underwater and me just having no clue of what that is. I mean, I understand you look like me and, and I understand the mechanics of it. I understand that you probably have gills, but I will never know the feeling of breathing underwater. And I can't even imagine the feeling of breathing underwater. When you get a billion dollars, now the person with a hundred million has a hard time, although they're closer. The person with a hundred million is closer to a billion in a lot of ways than you are to the $10 million person, at least, because they understand the concept of not wanting for anything. But then when you get to $100 billion, you're in this echelon of people that has such a phenomenal amount of wealth and power, the power that comes with wealth, that you are no longer mortal like the rest of us. You don't exist in that. Now, say say you're just a middling billionaire. Say you have $10 billion in the bank. $10 billion, well, not in the bank, but $10 billion of wealth. You're worth that level of money. Say you have a couple of kids. Both of those kids grow up in that environment. Having understanding less about the person that only has $100 in the bank than the person that has $100 in the bank understands about that they don't because the person that has $100 in the bank understands wanting $10 billion. The person that has $10 billion doesn't even want 100. They don't even understand. They don't even look at that life as significant in the terms of not the person, but they don't even see there's no relationship between them it's like a human looking at an ant they don't get it it's no community so of course the life or the person with that level of money isn't as significant in a lot of ways because it doesn't make sense to them they're not the same it's very easy as we've pointed out through history numerous times to make humans see other humans as not human I think there's this weird psychological thing that comes with having extreme wealth that makes you detached from regular people and I think those Two kids then have two more kids. And before you know it, you have this really weird world that they live in because they go to school with other people that, that live the same way and they marry people that live the same way and they have family. And, this, and they no longer exist in the rest of the world. They don't know what it's like to wait in line. They don't know what it's like to go places and not have things. They don't know what it's like to ever worry about the noise your car makes. They don't have a fundamental piece of the human experience. They don't have, they don't have fear in the same way that we do of, of things, of the basic things. So I think that, you know, when you look at the psychological difference between extremely rich people and us, unless you're extremely rich and listening to this, and as I said before, I have a Patreon. Um, but if you're, but I think when you look at the different, it's no wonder there's a psychological disconnection there. I can see that. But what really flummoxes me is the idea that was suggested in the, in the email that perhaps there is no longer even the connection of, you know, that these people have any value, that there's any, because you don't step on an ant just because you don't want to kill it. Just because you don't understand its life doesn't mean you want to end it. You know what I mean? You'd be like, well, it's, it's, still, an, it's still alive. I mean, I'll just leave it alone. But the idea, or sometimes you'd be like, oh, I'll put a stick down and help it get off the sidewalk. But the idea that the ultra-rich, who, like I said, are in an echelon that puts them essentially as far from us as we are from ants in many ways, would intentionally step on the ant just because they want to put their foot there or they want to just kill more ants than the person next to them. I don't, 
I think I just don't understand that. And you know what? I'm kind of glad I don't. Because I don't think I want to get to a point in my life where I understand that. Um, you know what? I'm going to have to go get real rich and I'll just report back. Um, and like I've said before on this podcast, I have no problem with rich people. I honestly don't. If you have money, good for you. I'm Congratulations. That's excellent. If, you, if you've achieved and you've, and you've... Even if you were born into it, I don't have a problem with that. If you see it as making us the ants if you see it as and like i said as we talked just now that may not necessarily always be your fault but if you can't differentiate between you know how money is this kind of it's not the it's not money is part of the world that we invented money didn't exist before we came up with it money is a human um contrivance is that a word anyway we made it up it wouldn't exist without us. And so it's this beast that we can no longer control. We designed, we created this thing that controls us, that changes who we are, or at very, at very least interacts with parts of us that we should have under control. And if, if, if you as a wealthy person can't see that, and if you as a wealthy person see there being no problem with taking and hurting to make more. I'm not talking about mistakes. I'm not talking about, I didn't know I was invested in this company. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about that. That's, that's, that's not. I'm talking about, you're given a choice between A and B. A will hurt people and make you $5 more than B, which won't hurt people, and you choose A every time. Fuck you, you're mentally ill. You're sick. I think that's probably a good place to end that. Thank you so much for the letter, DJ. I really appreciate it. Um, and if you guys want to send me one, send me one at www.skpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at www.skpodcast or my personal Twitter at Unfamous. I'm also on Instagram at This Is Simon King and TikTok for some fucking reason at This Is Simon King. On TikTok, it's mostly just dumb impressions and shit. Um, yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening. Please share the podcast around. And um, and then uh, I'm thinking about taking some of my favorite episodes, maybe doing some transcription of them, editing them, changing them up, and maybe making a little book about it. Uh, maybe a little, a little book, a little What's Wrong With Simon King, Volume 1, and we'll just talk about shit. So if you want to uh, send me a letter, tell me your favorite episodes of the podcast from this incarnation or uh, even from the previous before we uh before we rebooted um i think the reboot's going well quite frankly i'm enjoying it again i'm on schedule again which is good although i am a day late this week but you know you get what you pay for ants that's what's wrong this week